This is Chris. Welcome to episode 260 of X-Lapsed. And uh, still working hurt today. Uh, if you've been following the past several episodes, uh, you'll know that I've had some dental misadventures and uh, popped a uh, temporary crown the other day and had it put back in uh, yesterday. I was able to get in. And uh, boy, it, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts a fair deal here. Uh, a lot of uh, manipulation of the side of my face. It's not pleasant, but... Um, Thankfully, uh, we got an issue today where not a whole heck of a lot happens. The X-Books are still very much in water-treading territory. We're just trying to buy some time till we get through Inferno and the Trial of Magneto. So uh, this one comes across as uh, mostly uh, a bit of filler. So let's get into it here. This is Marauders number 24, had a November 2021 cover date. The story's called Date Night, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. Letters, VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edit Samaro Bisa White Sabalski cover price $3.99. This one went on sale September the 15th of 2021. So we open with a stranger in a spacecraft attempting to head to Earth to take care of some business that we'll learn more about as we work our way through. Now, unfortunately for him, he's got to pass by Mars Araco to uh, get there. And he's ordered to land at Port Prometheus for a little bit of an inspection. But he's on a time crunch, you see, so he refuses. And, well, he gets shot down. And he's forced to land at Prometheus uh, all the same. Once there, a guard named Jednu heads over to inspect, but he's bashed by the opening of the craft's door. From the ship steps out, a fellow with a blaster. He introduces himself as Eden Rixio and claims that he needs to meet with the White Queen of Mutantum. And I feel about as detached as I think I would feel if I were reading one of the several hundred Star Wars books Marvel puts out every month. This is a... I don't know, it doesn't feel like an X-book just yet. Anyway, double-page spread of roll call and cred. We got Emma Frost, Call Me Kate, Sebastian Shaw, Bishop, and Pyro. Wow, remember them? Remember those characters? They're in this book. When it's convenient. And I wonder how big a role they'll play today. Well... Hold on to your hats, because we're going to get rid of them, and Iceman, for good measure, in the very next page. You know, lest we forget that this book is The Emma Frost Show. Uh, so, the Marauders land at Port Prometheus in the Mercury. Uh, Iceman and Pyro immediately excuse themselves to go somewhere. Uh, now, Bishop, he says he's only here to speak with the new sheriff, since there have been, like, three sheriffs murdered in the past two days or something. So he's gone, too. Again, I mean, this is The Emma Frost Show. So Emma and Call Me Kate wander through the marketplace. Kitty steals a blaster from an arms dealer after being refused a sale for being an earther. So she, you know, just phases her hand through the back of the stall and takes it. 
And I would comment on how this isn't heroic, nor is it cool, nor badass, but Kitty asked that we don't judge her, so I won't. We follow the ladies into the Red Lagoon, which, I mean, I, we can probably guess is the Mars analog to Krakoa's own Green Lagoon, only mixed with a little bit of the Star Wars cantina. Now, Emma says that they're looking for someone who's wearing a powerful psi blocker, and upon entry we can see that Sebastian Shaw was already here and he's drowning his sorrows in a drink. He doesn't seem all that keen on having company either, he just wants to drink alone. Now that's cool though, since he isn't who Emma's here to see. Just then, from across the bar, the place, wherever they are, uh, she's summoned by Eden Rixio, who she most definitely knows from somewhere. Next up, we have info pages, two of them, all about Rixio. I feel like we're getting a lot of these double-page spreads of info pages uh, of late. I think it's been like the last three or four issues we've had stuff like this. Uh, now, it looks like he's got a few aliases, which, I mean, I haven't committed his actual name to memory yet, and I doubt I will, so this feels a little, you know, pointless. Uh, he's also known as Dean Lorix, Eden Rixio, and Buhan, or Buan, and others, assumedly. Now, he was tied up with the Nova Corps until he was dishonorably discharged, and uh, does anybody care to know more? Yeah, me neither. Um, we go back to comics, and Emma and Call Me Kate meet up with Rixio, and it looks like we're about to get that Han Solo and Greedo scene. And it's alluded to here that Emma had stolen the Mercury from Rixio, and not only that, but the Mercury is also a mutant. Which is a little confusing, considering we actually have a mutant named Mercury. Then again, we've got, you know, two Wolverines, two Hawkeyes. Why not two Mercuries? I don't know. Uh, Emma says that she didn't steal the ship. And that it was actually a deal that they had made. Rixio claims that they, he would never agree to hand over that ship. The conversation escalates like that until Rixio blasts Emma. But she's turned into her diamond form, so it doesn't affect her one bit. He then attempts to blast Kitty, who, duh, goes intangible. The rest of the Iraqi patrons, I mean, this is a packed house, they cheer on the ensuing brawl here. And this ends with Rixio tossing a grenade. Now, here's where Shaw gets involved. He absorbs the blast into his belly. He then warns Rixio not to underestimate the ladies, uh, as it's a mistake that he'd already made once himself. He then tries to cool things down by offering Rixio a big payoff to make this problem, you know, sort of kind of go away. To which Rixio is intrigued. From here, we jump over to the peak for this deal to go down. Emma is greeted by Peeper, who she refers to as Peepers. I feel like they go both ways with this name. Though in fairness, Peepers feels more natural and it's easier to say. It's hard to stop with the Peeper, you know. And oh, hey, uh, Pyro, Iceman, and Bishop are back. Don't worry, though. They're not actually going to do or say anything because, I mean, who has the time for that? From here, the Marauders plus Rixio sit down for a meal aboard the Mercury and to discuss terms. The good guys hand over a briefcase full of Mysterium in exchange for the ship. And it looks like everything's pretty well smoothed over until Rixio gets up from the table. He goes into the next area of the ship and then somehow jettisons the Marauders into deep space. Boy, imagine the tension we'd be feeling right now if death still mattered. And, you know, wasn't overused to the point of parody. From here we go to our wrap-up, and we are at the X-Men's treehouse in Manhattan. There we meet some intolerant sort who is about to toss a Molotov cocktail at the place. Only he's interrupted by the arrival of... Lordish Chantal. And that's where we leave it. Next time out, the trial of Magneto rolls on, but uh, for now... I mean, not a whole lot happened in this issue, but let's talk about it anyway. And, well, if you listened to uh, the last episode where we talked about X-Force, um, a lot of my same observations from that are present here. 
a lot of this does feel like water treading. We're just buying ourselves some time to get through to the next era and also maybe trying to answer some of the questions that we've neglected to answer up to this point. Early on in this run, there was the question of uh, what the Mercury is, and it kind of just went away. So here we are dealing with that. I don't know if we'll get a solid answer. I don't know if we need a solid answer, but at least it's being addressed. We are, you know, clearing the board for uh, Steve Orlando to come and, uh, well, Steve Orlando all over the Marauder's book. And I mean, that's probably unfair of me to be dreading it already, but, uh, and, you know, we will, we'll take it as it comes, I suppose. Now, the thing with this book, we usually call this book, or I usually call this book, the most consistently, you know, quality book of the run here, where you're very seldom disappointed by an issue of Marauders uh, from, you know, from start to end. You know, it's always been either the best book of the month or, you know, up there among the better books of the month. But of late, it's uh, become just another afterthought book, at least in my opinion. You know, I'm not saying that they're not putting any effort into it. I think I'm more saying that they're kind of handcuffed as to what they can do. Because so much is uh, riding on the things that are happening in the big crossovers that are coming. Or the big miniseries events, I should say. Because we're not really crossing over. But uh, the big events. That's kind of the straws that stir the drink, right? And everything else kind of just has to exist. It's not like they're going to take these books off the shelves for a little while. It's not like they're going to retire them for a little bit, put them on hiatus. They still have to come out. It's just they're limited in so far as what they can actually do. That's not a problem with the creators. It's not necessarily a problem with editorial. I think it's just a lot of factors coming together at once here. Hickman leaving the books. Of course, we had the COVID hiatus, which kind of threw everything into a tizzy. And despite the fact that that was, you know, over well over a year ago at this point... I think we're still digging ourselves out. I think when you're trying to coordinate such a huge line of books here, because, I mean, this is a huge family of books, something like that could really throw a wrench into plans. And I think we saw that with Exitens, how that was supposed to be a shorter thing, and now, it, you know, then they blew it up into 22 parts. I think a lot of us have heard the editorial rumblings that these books were only supposed to go on for, like, a year. You know, the initial Dawn of X books were only going to last a year, then it would be a big event, which Hickman would kind of steer, and then it would be the next group of books. And I think we were supposed to get that either three or four times, uh, according to, like, I guess the uh, scuttlebutt as to what the grand Hickman plan was from the get-go. And, you know, I think that tracks. When we look at a book like Marauders, I think, you know, if we break down Marauders, I think it had three stories it had to tell. Going into it, I didn't see it as being the Emma Frost book. Uh, of course, I'm always going to be a big part of it since it's all about the Hellfire Trading Company, but I think I saw this more, and I think a lot of us saw this more as uh, as Kitty's book. And I think this was going to be more, much more Kitty-centric than it actually is now. Uh, if we go back to the start here, we can see that it was very Kitty-centric. And those three stories I think that this book had to tell were Kitty dying, because that raises a lot of questions or rose a lot of questions about whether or not Kitty could be resurrected. You know, she couldn't pass through the Krakoan gateways. We were kind of questioning whether or not she was actually a mutant, you know? I think that was kind of the the little seed of doubt that was planted in our minds there, is that maybe Kitty's something else. Because you know, why else wouldn't she be allowed to pass through? So we had her death. Then we had her resurrection, which was the second story beat that this, uh, that this volume needed to cover. And just how they went about doing it. You know, there were questions as to whether or not she could be. 
We saw and heard about failure after failure after failure to bring her back until they finally realized how to go about doing it, confirming that, yes, she can be resurrected, right? And then the third story would be getting their revenge on Sebastian Shaw, which is something we also saw, definitely a story that needed to be told for this to come around full circle, right? I mean, this became a story of, uh, you know, death, rebirth, and revenge, and I think those were really the only story beats, and I, I've, I have absolutely no insider knowledge here, but with the way the book has progressed, I feel like those were the big beats. You know, even if we look at something like Ex of Swords here, uh, the Marauders were only tangentially related to that. I mean, Jerry Duggan didn't even write the issue that tied into it. That was uh, Vida Ayala telling the story of how Storm got the blade from uh, Wakanda. And I mean, Storm, we've talked about Storm's positioning in the Marauders, where she was mostly a non-entity, right? Uh, they really had to shoehorn a lot of backstory into Storm's uh, membership into the Marauders during that uh, farewell issue. It's like <laughs> a, lot, uh, a huge case of uh, tell-don't-show. So kind of what I'm getting at here is... Uh, this book outlived, I don't want to say it outlived its usefulness, but maybe it outlived its relevance. You know, this was supposed to do certain things, and again, I am projecting. <laughs> I am guessing. I have absolutely no insider knowledge besides what the uh, what the wizards on the internet have uh, told us about, but uh, I feel like this story, th- this book told its story, but then went on. And then it kind of got a shot in the arm with the Hellfire Gala, which was something that was built up to in all of the books. If you remember uh, our discussions of those lead-up books where it's every other page, someone say, hey, we got a party to prepare for. You know, we talked about that a great deal, so I will uh, not press that right now. But uh, after the Hellfire Gala, we entered into the classic comic book lame duck period where we're just buying time till the next thing. And I mean, that's a common complaint that uh, that I think a lot of us have had about... Uh, the big two, Marvel in particular, especially, I mean, we could talk about reboots till the cows come home here, or relaunches, I should say. But compared to how Marvel was doing things like five, six years ago, they're comparably conservative with how they uh, relaunch books. It, it seems like it's happening not far less often, but a little bit less often. Whereas back in the day, it'd be, you know, you'd launch the title after the big event, You'd go like three or four issues to establish what that volume is going to be about. Marvel would announce the next big event that would be happening in about three or four months' time, if that long. And then the book would enter that lame duck period where it would just kind of totter into cancellation and relaunching after the next big event. And that was like the cycle of Marvel Comics for you know, a few years there. And while you know, kudos to them for not exactly being that bad about it anymore... There certainly are books where the seams show, and unfortunately, I feel like Marauders is one of them. This feels... I think I compared um, X-Force to, uh, like, the last year of Action Comics and Superman before Crisis of Infinite Earth set in, the post-crisis continuity started, where it was just, like, weird stories just kind of fill in space because nothing really mattered. Now, that's not to say that what we read today was bad, because it wasn't. It wasn't bad. It just was a, It was just a no occasion, right? It was just not something to get all that excited about. It was the introduction of a new character who we don't care about. It was reintroducing a mystery that I think a lot of us forgot about. And it ended with the cliche, are they going to die cliffhanger, which I, I think... I, I can't speak for all of us, but I know I've been tired of these cliffhangers since the start here, because death doesn't mean anything. 
And I mean, I can excuse something like this if the story that leads up to it is enthralling and entertaining enough to kind of make us forget exactly the time and place that these books are, are happening in, where it's like, oh, there is there are stakes here. But there aren't. I will say that it was nice to see uh, Phil Noto and Jerry Duggan back together after their run on cable. That was uh, a nice surprise. Not to take anything away from our usual, you know, artist uh, Matteo Lali on Marauders, but uh, it's always fun to see Phil Noto. Overall, uh, well, this one didn't rock my socks. I didn't dislike it, but uh, it really didn't do a whole heck of a lot for me either. Perhaps it'll read better as part of a trade collection. Maybe it won't. Um, I guess it's not for me to say since that's not how I'm reading these things. So if you are reading these things that way, please <laughs> let me know how this one worked for you. Anyway, I think that's about all I have to say about the issue. Uh, how about we hop into the mailbag here? We do have that hangover from our last episode that I had to uh, push off because my face hurt a lot. Uh, face still hurts, just not quite, in a different way. In a different way uh, Last time when I was uh, Anytime I'd breathe in Which when you talk you breathe in a lot You don't even realize it But when I sucked in air The uh, you know the, the tooth with the crown that was missing Oh man it was like uh, electric shocks So I had to uh, You know push it off uh, Right now I'm more just Facially fatigued uh, And just uh, sore Very tender But uh, we'll get through We'll get through. Uh, the letter, of course, is from our friend Evan, who's giving us his Hellfire Gala rankings, which I always love seeing these sort of uh, messages here because it gives us a whole heck of a lot to talk about and to uh, just discuss. So let's get into Evan's rankings here. He says, these are my unsolicited rankings, and uh, rest assured, your rankings are always solicited. I love seeing these. Uh, his number one book, shocking, Hellions. <laughs> Hellions was definitely... Uh, of the among the strongest books of the gala, it was uh, really really good, which you know no surprise. Speaking of surprises, though, his number two book is Sword. Huh. He says uneven, yes, but it had important notes for the gala and the ongoing series, and great character moments, even if it was for characters who don't regularly appear in the book. And yeah, that is a good point. I'm not sure I'd rank it quite so high in the uh, in the hierarchy here, but I'll admit that yes, this was a very good usage. For uh, Sword, uh, which is a series that, I mean, I, I'm not sure if it ever found its identity, ever found its way. It gets too wrapped up in other things where, I mean, we've got a wonderful cast there. We've talked about this before. We've got a great cast, but uh, the cast really doesn't get the opportunity to breathe all that often because either, you know, symbiotes are attacking the planet or uh, mindless ones or there's a, a great big party, you know, so it's hard for uh, this book to really... I don't know, grow in and of itself and actually form its own identity. Evan's third book would probably be my either first or second book here. Uh, Hellions teeters with this book pretty much every time we read them. That's Way of X. Now, Evan says, probably technically better than Sword, but less about the gala, though the drunken Nightcrawler montage did a nice job of tying the event together. And that's very true here. We did see Nightcrawler, uh, you know, shambling and stammering all over the gala throughout the other issues here, which... We did get the context for during the Way of X issue, which also, I mean, that, you see, that's, we talk about S.W.O.R.D., right? S.W.O.R.D., a book that kind of is dependent on everything that goes on around it to tell its stories. S.W.O.R.D. has had like two or three issues out of the eight or so that we've read that actually were devoted to establishing what the what the point of them is, you know, what the point of this team in particular is, what this crew gives to the... The endeavor that they're on uh, Whereas Way of X It's kind of the opposite 
You know, Way of X used the story of the Gala to further the Way of X story. Of course, the Way of X story, Legion told Nightcrawler, you got to explore these laws, you know, the three Krakoan laws. And here in Way of X, uh, what was it, number three, four, perhaps? Whichever one was part of the Gala, I think it was three. It used the context of the Gala to facilitate exploration of the Make More Mutants law and did so with great result in showing the consequences of, uh, of such a law and how you really need to think things through because, you know, you can say something and it just sounds perfect. You know, make more mutants. It sounds like a smart play when you're part of a persecuted group that's always threatened with extinction. Of course, you want to make more, but there are consequences to that, and uh, Way of X number 3 explored that beautifully. Uh, Evans' book four is Planet-Sized X-Men. He says, It did what it needed to do, and it was a solid issue, but it got buried under Marvel's hype. And yeah, that was my big problem with the issue as well, because it's not a bad issue. It was hardly a story, though. It was really like a like a procedural manual of how to uh, terraform a planet. And, uh, you know, it was okay for what it was. But unfortunately, it was being compared to giant Size X-Men number one. Insofar as the import of the uh, story and the ramifications that it would have And uh, yeah, it really didn't live up to it It really didn't live up to it And it also, I mean, it was probably about as good as Giant Size X-Men number one Because I don't think a lot of people realize or think about it But Giant Size number one wasn't a great story I mean, it's an important story Probably one of the more important stories in X-Men and Marvel history, period But it's not great. So Planet Size might be might have been technically better of a story than Giant Size, but insofar as importance, you know, we talk about things like history envy, you know, where you want to be there for moments in time, you want to remember where you were at certain points. That's something that can only really be asserted long after the fact. You know, if you say that this book that's coming out in a few months is going to be just as important as this book that was really important 40 years ago, then you're really only setting yourself up for like unfair comparisons because intrinsic history cannot be manufactured. You know, history is not something we can look forward to. <laughs> history is only something that we can look back on. So Marvel's hype really did a number on this one. I think it left a bad taste in a lot of our mouths so that when we read this, expecting, you know, just to be blown away and then what we get instead is just like a technically proficient connective tissue sort of issue. It's a little bit of a letdown. Now, Evan's fifth and sixth are X-Force and Wolverine. Uh, I suppose it probably doesn't matter which order <laughs> those are in, because they were basically interchangeable, just like uh, X-Swords. Now, Evan says it told an X-Force story where the gala was an integral part, which, yeah, about, about sums it up, doesn't it? Evan's seventh book is X-Factor. He says it did its job, and the rushed bits get a pass because we know what, what the creative team was having to deal with. Totally true. We've talked about this several times up to this point. Um... That was not a great issue, but it did the best it could with, uh, with uh, the creative team did the best they could with what they had left. They didn't get an oversized issue. They didn't get any real time to wrap up subplots in a satisfying way. It was uh, really just a, it was a sprint. You know, it was a sprint to the end, and, you know, they lost the, you know, back few pages of the issue because they had to deal with the Wanda death. So it was, it was a toughie. I mean, did the best they could. 
So absolutely nothing against Leia and David. It, you know, they did the best they could. Marvel editorial did what they usually do and uh, made it very difficult for this volume to end in a satisfying way. Evan's eighth book is New Mutants. He says, The art wasn't my cup of tea, and your Gabby prediction came true, but that part at least was done well. And you know what? Outside of Gabby's death, I don't remember a thing that happened in that issue. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, Evan's ninth book, Marauders. Not bad, just eh, setting the table. And yeah, that was a toughie. That was really a toughie, and I think when we discussed Marauders uh, number, what was it, 21 on the show, I... Uh, I kind of withdrew from really critiquing it all that much because it was the sort of story that kind of defies analysis. You know, I think I compared it to X-Men Prime the first time around, uh, post-Age of Apocalypse, where all it was really doing was setting story spurs that the other issues were going to, you know, explore deeper and expand upon. So I can't say that that issue of Marauders failed in any way. Um, I guess mileage will vary on whether or not you like that sort of storytelling where... Everything's kind of just happening. We're just getting different points of view. If that's something you like, then it would work for you. If you're more into a linear story, then it probably wouldn't work for you. But in any case, I can't say that the issue was bad. I can't say that the issue didn't work for what it was trying to do. It was just, as uh, as Evan said, it was just kind of, eh, you know. Evan's tenth book is X-Men. He says, yes, the Namor scene was great, but the issue felt like a collection of scenes that just didn't have anywhere else to be. And isn't that a fitting description for most of this volume? Not bad, though. None of these issues bottomed out to me. And yeah, first of all, the Namor scene was awesome. (laughs) Namor uh, doing what Namor does was really, really cool. Now, this issue had the potential to be really special. As, I mean, the hype around it before we got into the voting and before we got into the results was the fact that we were going to get our first post-Hoxpox X-Men team here. Now, the way in which we got that team was weird. You know, we had, it was basically, you know, they they joined like a hive mind for a minute and it's like, okay, we're going to pick this, 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 and this. Okay, you're the X-Men. Didn't really work for me so much. And also, there was the fact that the entire team was spoiled already. Not just the one that was voted on in Polaris, but the rest of the team as well. We knew who they were going to be months before the issue came out because of solicits. And yeah, I know that solicits are necessary, but I, I feel like they could have done this. Maybe release a cover where it looks like like evocative of that Captain America or the Avengers cover where Captain America stood before all those posters or all those screens with the different characters who might be joining the Avengers on it or... Even go back to like uh, something like All-Star Squadron number one, where we can have like Scott and Gene stood around a table with a bunch of photos on it. You know, of, of course, times are different now, but doing something like that could have made this issue a whole lot more special than it actually was because they were still treating it as though we were learning something when we, we all knew and it was uh, kind of a letdown. Evan's book 11 is Excalibur. He says, I didn't dislike it enough to say this is the worst, I just didn't like it enough to put it any higher. And yeah, Excalibur was pretty weak. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Excalibur just has to Excalibur. And it really doesn't pay much mind to anything that goes on in the other books. It's more focused on taking care of itself and really just letting everything else either make sense with it or not. It's really unfortunate. Um, Evan wraps up with, I guess I forgot Children of the Atom, but the main reason it was a gala issue was apparently all the talk that there was a gala coming up. If that's all it takes, there were a lot of issues that I left out. And that's true. Uh, the Children of the Atom gala issue is more um, the final issue, issue six, which you'll get to probably not before too much longer, 
probably within the next month or so it'll show up on Unlimited. Not that it's something that's uh, really worth waiting for, but that's where you'll see some of the gala stuff. It doesn't get gala branding, but it does take place at the gala. But speaking of books you forgot, you didn't mention X Corp, and uh, I'm not complaining. But anyway, thank you so much for sending in your rankings, and of course I would love to see everybody's rankings, uh, whether it's Hellfire Gala related or plain old X-Men line related. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts, so please don't be shy. That does it for the mailbag. Let's hop into some shout-outs here where I thank the folks on social media for helping to raise the profile of this little program. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Jesse DeYoung, Ed Moore, Dave Schultz, Joe Crawford, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah Jones, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Chris Bailey, J- uh, Wayne Burroughs, Jacob Jones, Jason Colby, Mark Jagger, and the Scary Stuff Podcast. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jody Yarden, Chris Bailey, Pat Sampson, Joe Crawford, Andrew Franklin, Jeremiah, Billy D, and Walt Neeland. And while thanking folks, I would like to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed. Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, and Mark Jagger. Thank you all so much for believing in me and for all your support. Now, one last thing before we get out of here for today. Um, if you recall, a couple episodes back, I discussed uh, some of the reactions to the first shipment from Penguin Random House uh, of the Marvel books, the uh, new distributor for Marvel, and how that was kind of a disaster from a quality control standpoint. You know, books showed up on time, which I guess is a step up from Heroes World back in the 90s, but... They came very damaged. They were very poorly packed, and it looks like week two is more of the same. Uh, There aren't a whole lot of uh, comments available from retailers, but uh, there are some pictures on the internet floating around. Uh, Since this is an audio program, I can't necessarily show them to you, but they're easy to find if you want to see them. And here's the thing about this week in particular. um, Immortal Hulk number 50 is out. The final issue, the one that people have been waiting like five or six years for, And it's also a $10 book. It's got a spine. I mean, it's a biggie. And in many of the pictures that I've seen, it took quite a beating in the uh, shipping process here. Just the the packaging is just so shoddy. Um, There's no protection at all in these uh, packages. It it just looks it looks so amateur. It looks like they really just don't care. And as we talked about last time. Penguin Random House considers dings to be okay. You know, they're not worthy of being returned as damaged if they're just dinged or folded or bent. So um, we talked about how egregious that is for a $3.99 book or a $4.99 book or, heaven help us, a $5.99 book, but Immortal Hulk number 50 is a $10 book. Consider the uncomfortable position that they're putting the retailers in, expecting uh, $10 for a book that's warped, destroyed, bent, torn, that just shows a lack of understanding as to what comic book retail is from uh, the distributor's side, and also just a disregard for their uh, relationships with their customers, you know, the people who keep them alive and keep the lights on and the doors open. It just, it's not good. It really is just not good. And in years past, we've talked about the weird relationship between Marvel and DC, of course, with the retailers where... You know, you're expected to order certain books, and if you don't order the right amount of certain books, you're going to be put on a list, and then when special things and incentives come out, you're going to be left out of that because you didn't carry a book that wasn't going to sell in the first place. And I thought that was bad. But, I mean, that was putting out pristine product that people might not want. Here, we're putting out product that people do want, but in a condition that they don't want. 
Now, the only upside to any of this is that a lot of these damaged books are going to start winding up in the 25 and 50 cent bins. So if that's how you get your books, well, in the coming weeks and months, you're going to have a lot to choose from. Now, I have still yet to get to a local shop out here. I I had my dental misadventure, so I wasn't really in the mood to head out anywhere, but I'm going to try to get out at some point in the next couple of days to uh, to see what I can see, to see what happened at some of the local shops here. If they're putting dented and dinged product up on the shelves, or if they have already filled their 50 cent bins with uh, this week's books. And of course, I'd love to hear your experiences as well. I feel like a uh, true fake-ass comics historian once again. It's been a little while since I felt this way. So it's, uh, I'm kind of jazzed, it's despite the fact that this is an awful story. It's uh, one that I want to follow. And I'd love to hear your guys' experiences as well. And uh, of course, if you want to let me know that or anything, please feel free to get a hold of me. You can find me several different ways. Over on Twitter, you can find me at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. And, of course, the complete archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You can find that anywhere you get noise on the Internet. Finally, there is, of course, the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapse, where you can find a lot of exclusive uh, content and some first-heard content. It's just a keen place to be, and there's a wonderful community over there to engage with. And of course, despite all the exclusive content over there, it is still very much a work in progress. So there's going to be stuff that I'm going to try over there. There's going to be stuff that uh, I'm going to take suggestions on over there. So if you have any suggestions about what to do over there, please let me know. I am all ears. But I think that's going to do it for us today. I'd like to thank you all so much for spending some time with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Different drugs.